Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can expand your sustainable and ESG opportunities with insights from leaders in the field. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these weekly conversations about developments in this fast-growing industry. I'm excited to speak with today's podcast guest, Yasu Aseas, who launched his career in sustainable finance at Parnassus Investments as a research analyst in 2010. A little over 10 years later, he is the director of ESG research at Parnassus for the firm's equity and fixed income portfolio strategies. Hello, Yasu, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Hi, Paul, and it's a pleasure to be here. Yasu, let's begin today's conversation with a quote from you from yesterday's press release regarding the U.S. SIF Foundation and regarding its biennial trends report, which came out yesterday. That report found that sustainable investing assets reached $17.1 trillion in U.S. dollars by the start of 2020, an increase of 42% in the U.S. from the start of 2018. In the press release, you're quoted as a member of U.S. SIF's board, and you said, as a practitioner of sustainable investing for over three decades, we at Parnassus believe it is more urgent than ever to embrace ESG considerations to help alleviate the crises our society faces, from income inequality to global warming, and to manage risk and improve investment performance. We hope that the findings will drive new investors from large institutions to retail investors to utilize sustainable investment strategies. So Yasu, after 10 years at Parnassus, where you began your career in sustainable investing, What about the firm's approach to asset management continues to support your personal and professional development, along with stimulating your intellectual curiosity? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that uh, wonderful introduction, uh, Paul. You know, first of all, I'd like to give a a big thank you to um, Lisa Wool, CEO of USF, Meg Voris, Director of Research uh, at uh, USF, and Josh Humphreys from the Croton Institute, who helped put that trends report um, you know, together. It was a massive, massive undertaking, and there's just a lot of wonderful um, information in there about the growth of our industry uh, since they first ran that, uh, ran that report. And I encourage everyone um, to, to take a look at the report and see how the sustainable, responsible impact investing space has grown um, over the past uh, two years. Um, and so with that said, you know, going back to, you know, my career at, uh, at Parnassus, it really started when I was an intern. Um, you know, I joined Parnassus in 2008, uh, pitching a couple of companies uh, to the greater investment team. Uh, and, and hopefully, you know, if you have two really good ideas and you show talent, you know, that's your, your pathway into uh, Parnassus. But <laughs> unfortunately, my uh, uh, the, the time when I entered into Parnassus was about two weeks before Lehman Brothers collapsed. Uh, and so, you know, with, the, with that, um, you know, the financial markets just went haywire. And I, and I quickly understood, you know, there, this isn't the time to get hired. So, you know, I put my, I put my head down and, and dug into the research and, you know, pitched my uh, two companies. And, and throughout 
that um, 10 week uh, internship program, you know, I, I learned a lot from, from, from Parnassus. Uh, you know, some of my mentors um, are now key members of the executive team at Parnassus, Ben Allen and Matt Gershney. Um, and they instilled a, a number of, of values in me um, as, an, as an intern, you know, intellectual honesty, you know, skepticism, uh, you know, efficiency with work, you know, that was really driven into me as I was an intern doing these uh, two you know, research reports. Um, and, and those values were also compounded by our chief investment officer, Todd Austin, uh, you know, who instilled this value of, of, of just being kind. You know, the, the old, you know, corporate, um, you know, America stab your back all the way up to the top of the ladder, you know, that, that just wasn't gonna work um, at Parnassus and Todd instilled that part, instilled that value uh, inside me as, a, as an intern. And then, you know, Jerry Dotson, our, our founder, you know, pioneer, the head honcho, you know, he, he installed a number of values, um, you know, regarding valuing people's time, other people's time. Um, so he forced you to be concise, articulate, and explain uh, things in, in, in three points. And if you couldn't explain um, an issue, an area of concern, or an area of opportunity in three points, and you really didn't understand it. So think your stock pitches. You can't explain the stock pitch in three points. You don't really understand the stock pitch, uh, and so having those values instilled in me um, as an intern early, early on in my career, you know, helped me express uh, some of the work that I produced, um, you know, during my you know, actual career at Parnassus as, as an analyst. And you got to think back to just kind of SRI, um, the SRI industry and its history. Um, you know, folks did SRI had a bad rap. Um, you know, if you were a socially responsible investor, you were taking companies out of the investable universe and you were pretty much harming um, your, your return uh, prospects uh, for, your, for your funds and for your investors. So the fact that um, these gentlemen created the space, you know, for, for me as an, ESG invest, as an ESG analyst to produce these reports, you know, making sure that, you know, the values that were instilled in me were being expressed in these reports, you know, being skeptical of the stock pitches, being um, intellectually honest about things that you don't know in regards to maybe disclosure on environmental performance or you know, workplace performance of the companies um, and, 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 value, and getting that work to the portfolio managers to help them make uh, better investment decisions within a reasonable amount of time, you know, that, that really you know, blossomed uh, because of those values that were instilled early, early on in, in my career. And you can say the same for many, um, many of our research professionals that, that are on the research team, because they also went through the same internship program and, and had these values instilled in them early on um, in their careers at Parnassus. Okay, great. That's a, that's a great lead into our next question, which is about the fact that we're now working uh, in many cases from home. Uh, not only during the pandemic, but uh, many cloud-based and internet-based businesses, including many in financial services, are continuing to support the work-from-home employment profiles that they have set up during COVID as the spread of the pandemic accelerates again into the flu season for this winter. So Yasu, in your opinion, how disruptive or supportive of this uh, is this of the ESG and sustainability research process at Parnassus and for the investment industry as a whole? Yeah, Paul, you know, disruption is always a really good topic um, to talk about in the, in the investment space. And, you know, COVID-19 has, has really done a number on, 
you know, a variety of, of, of topics and, and has impacted all sectors um, in, in the investable universe. You know, regarding working from home, you know, I think some sectors and industries are gonna have a much easier time dealing with COVID-19 um, and just pandemics in general. Um, for example, you know, the information uh, tech and, and comm services companies, you know, think the Silicon Valley companies like Microsoft, Google, Facebook, you know, you gotta remember these, these are the folks that pioneered uh, workplace per perks such as you know, free food, arcades, sleeping pods, uh, showers, exercise facilities, and, and for now, mo most importantly, remote work. Um, and it wasn't just some altruistic thinking that they had, that they suddenly you know, kind of overcame, that overcame them. Um, now, now these executives and leaders, you know, realize that, you know, if you provide these employees with, you know, these enough, you know, at home like perks, you can squeeze a bit more productivity out of them. Um, so, you know, these companies, they have, a, you know, they have a head start in the remote workspace, you know, future and, and working under, you know, pandemic conditions, you know, whereas uh, sectors um, such as, you know, the industrials, you know, where, where you know, the need for people's presence um, to perform, you know, they're going to have a very different future in front of them. You know, companies in those sectors are going to have to reimagine ways to replace people when the physical environment is too harmful to have, you know, their employees working uh, normally. So automation, um, flexible global supply chains, artificial intelligence, you know, they're all on the table now when you have a, you know, a pandemic environment. Um, and you can bet executives, you know, around the world are strategizing on ways to, to better deal with, you know, with the next pandemic. You know, regarding the ESG process, you got to remember that at Parnassus, we have a you know, three to five year uh, investment horizon. So, you know, I like to think about these issues from a short, medium and, and long term perspective. You know, in the short term, health and safety, uh, it's definitely going to be the main area uh, of focus. <clears throat> you know, Parnassus. We participated in an investor group um, early on this year that uh, decided to engage companies um, on their responses to COVID-19. And you know, we sent out you know, letters uh, to our companies in conjunction with the investor group, um, which uh, I'm reminded was uh, led by the New York uh, Comptroller's Office as well as uh, you know, Dominion Impact Investments. And you know, in these letters that we were sending to these companies, you know, we were asking them. Um, to address uh, certain issues, and the five um, the five main issues were providing paid leave for employees, prioritizing health and safety, maintaining employment, you know, maintaining supplier and customer relations, and then financial prudence. Um, so, you know, sending out these letters was really important for um, our companies to hear from their investors because you know it's it's part of our research process. You know, human capital, labor management, you know, they all have an impact on the bottom line. And so we want to know that our companies are, are taking COVID-19 you know, serious um, and, and have a plan of action to deal with, you know, going through the pandemic as well as, you know, coming out, you know, high quality companies and, 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 and certainty, you know, when, it, when you, when you're an investor, you, you deal in, you know, uncertain in certain times and you'd rather be certain of how the direction of a company is going um, because you want your investments to, to succeed for your clients. And so, um, you know, for the medium and long term, um, I'm actually a bit concerned, Paul. Uh, I'm concerned about the workplace dynamics for employees who don't necessarily need to be present in the, in the office. Um, mm -hmm. you know, at Parnassus, 
you know, we believe, uh, you know, an engaged um, employee, uh, one who uh, is happy and, and can believe in the mission, the vision, the values and the direction of the company, you know, they're going to help that, that company succeed. Um, or they're gonna, excuse me, they're gonna find a million and one ways to help that company succeed, right? And then on the contrary, you know, an unhappy employee who's not as engaged and, and doesn't care much about the direction of, of the company, you know, they can actually take the company down from, from within. Um, so you have this situation where, um, you know, work, when working from home, uh, remote work, you, know, you lose the sense of engagement in that workplace. Um, you lose that FaceTime, you know, that water cooler talk, those relationship building events that happened organically because you were all forced to congregate in the same location, you know, nine to five. Um, you know, I worry about the younger generation of employees who, who don't have the opportunity to build those relationships with their managers and, and who may not have the same advantages as, as I guess my generation um, mm-hmm. did. Um, coming up uh, in this in the space, mm-hmm. um, and, and the same goes for you know those employees who'd rather just work from home going forward. You know, think about you know some employees may be quick to move on to other jobs because they don't have that attachment to to that company, and you know some managers may be quick to let their employees go because they don't have that attachment to their uh, to those employees. You know, I think it all depends on how long this pandemic lasts and what employers want to do going forward with with remote work. Okay, good. So that's a a really uh, expansive point of view uh, about how work in general is going forward. Let's let's get a little bit more specific now related to uh, the sustainable and impact investment community. We've seen tremendous growth, global growth in ESG assets under management in recent years, and it certainly continued through the time of the pandemic in 2020 so far, according to all the data sources. And uh, the recognition of off balance sheet key performance indicators uh, that can be measured at the sector, industry and company level has really come to the table now during the pandemic as companies look much deeper into their own um, business processes, I believe. So what other kinds of changes do you think are afoot in sustainable and impact investment research over the next few years? Yeah, I think uh, the next few years, we're going to see um, standardization. So I'm, I'm always the first one to, to, to admit that my industry hasn't done a great job at you know, defining exactly you know, what it is we do. Uh, you know, there's just a noodle soup of phrases out there describing you know, factors, issues, and metrics we use to make you know, investment decisions. Um, you know, there's you know, sustainable investing, impact investing, SRI investing, socially conscious investing. Again, just a noodle soup out there. Um, and you have to kind of also think about some of the companies that we're investing in and the experiences that they're going through. So they're getting, you know, in, in inquiries from you know, investors, foundations, NGOs, um, you know, nonprofits, you know, they're with all of their questions in, in a variety of different ways. And, and to be honest, you know, I can, I can, you know, I can connect and relate with them in, in the sense that there's probably some survey fatigue going on. There's probably a lot of survey fatigue going on with those companies. Yeah, I would expect uh, so. 
it's, yeah, it's, it's so, you know, if you're being asked by, you know, maybe CDP for, you know, your greenhouse gas emissions, but then you're also getting asked by, you know, the GRI um, or, or sorry, an investor um, such as Parnassus about the greenhouse gas emissions, but we're asking in a, in a different way, maybe greenhouse gas intensity. Um, you know, you can understand the, a little bit of confusion and fatigue from the, from the company's perspective. So, you know, this push for standardization on uh, ESG reporting or sustainable reporting, I think that's just the next couple of years, what's, what's going to take uh, folks is uh, going to take a lot of uh, time uh, for folks. So you have organizations like SASB out there, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, um, and the Global Reporting Initiative, uh, who are really you know, starting to see some adoptions, some strong adoption numbers um, coming in. You know, for those folks who don't know what the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board is, it's, it's, it's basically an, a, um, a very similar version of the Financial Accounting Standards Board where sustainability metrics um, that are tied to materiality for investors um, is, is a standardization for reporting that SASB um, is gonna require for companies. And the GRI, the Global Reporting Initiative is, is a reporting standard for companies that don't necessarily focus explicitly on um, investors and materiality, but pretty much all stakeholders um, for, for that, that the companies um, impact. And so these uh, standards are, are very useful in a sense that you, know, you, you just have to answer the sustainability questions in, in one way, <laughs> right. not like 15 different ways or, you know, or maybe even ordering it based on the size of your investor uh, or the, you know, the uh, reputational risk that you take for not answering um, these types of questions. And so I think, um, yeah, I think companies, you know, they're going to be a lot happier, <laughs> you know, going forward once this adoption, you know, takes place. Um, and I think that's, that's the big issue, you know, um, for the next couple of years. Well, it certainly is also in Europe where, uh, as you know, there's not just a lot of um, protocols developing around standardization, but there are actually laws being put into place regarding uh, carbon um, um, I'm sorry, carbon pollution uh, limits and trading schemes and all kinds of things that are going to require companies um, in Europe, whether they're U.S. Or, or European or Chinese companies, for example, doing business there to, uh, to adjust to those regulatory schemes that are being put together. And so that really kind of brings me to uh, a question about 2020, where we've seen global financial and healthcare impacts of the pandemic. We've seen dramatic increases in both physical and transition climate risks manifesting with greater intensity and frequency around the planet. And we're also here in the US, at least, we're, we're dealing with a lot of social justice and systemic workplace racism issues that are disrupting daily life in cities around the world, uh, not just in the US. So what ESG investment and research themes do you see rising to prominence over the next couple of years? And what trends in our industry, um, uh, whether they're explored in the US SIF uh, trends report or not, should investors and financial advisors be watching related to risk and opportunity. Yeah, the you know, 2020, 2021, 2022 uh, pictures is really interesting. And then the reason why is because if you look back at 2020, 
um, you came into the year, the responsible investment space came into the year, you know, thinking about the EU sustainable finance action plan, you know, thinking about uh, you know, digital, uh, digital rights, uh, thinking about you know physical and, and transition risk, and then all of a sudden COVID nineteen um, hit us, uh, and then the you know unfortunate uh, murder of uh, George Floyd uh, really struck a um, a match in, in folks' fires on on social justice, and so one lesson that you know we learned this year is that um, you know ESG isn't a crystal ball; um, it, it cannot predict uh, what is going to happen. Um, you know, to, to the extent of that it's so accurate that you know exactly how to plan your day to day, you know, for the rest of the year. Um, and it was just, it, 2020 was just a whipsaw of, of a bunch of different events that, that, that occurred and kind of took a lot of attention away from what we started out um, in the year. Um, but going into 2021 and 2022, Paul, you know, I still think that climate change is, is going to be the, the, the big topic. Um, you know, it's, it's the biggest challenge to, that our, our, our globe faces. And, you know, we're seeing more and more extreme weather events, you know, whether they be droughts, floods, hurricanes, fires, you know, it's just the, the costs of rebuilding are just becoming unsustainable. Mm-hmm. And there's, there, there's just only so many times that, you know, an insurance company is going to pay out their policyholders if their houses burn down, like we're seeing in, in California or, or when, you know, a hurricane comes and wipes out some coastal homes. Uh, like we saw in New Jersey several years ago, um, mm-hmm. before they pull out, you know, and then you just can't build homes there anymore. You know, it's it's interesting. The you know, uh, you know department within the um, you know the 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 commerce department or, or sub department within the, the commerce department that's called the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Right. They put out a report, um, you know, saying that extreme weather events between 2017 and 2019. Uh, cost the U.S. more than $456 billion. You know, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think the discussion, you know, w- in regards to climate change, I think it's moved beyond the science of, of global warming leading to extreme weather events. And it's now in the second act. It's, it's transitioning to a low carbon economy. You know, there are going to be a cost associated with decarbonizing the world's economies and, you know, nation governments. They're going to have to figure out a way to entice and incentivize and retool their industries to stop emitting greenhouse gas, uh, greenhouse gases. And it's going to be tough. This is, this is not going to be easy. You know, the, um, you know, there's some folks out there that throw out this simple solution to just you know, put a tax on carbon, right? That, that's going to you know, solve everything. And that may be simple for corporations or, you know, that, it'd be a, not simple, but more of an easier pill to swallow for corporations because they can adjust um, and are very flexible, but it might not be so at the you know, kind of personal consumption level. You know, think about adding a greenhouse gas tax at the pump, you know, mm-hmm. but then also, you know, adding a greenhouse gas tax on that bottle of, of Dasani water or, or that Oreo cookie or that new Xbox or PS5 that you just bought your kid for Christmas. Right. You know, how, about, how about that pound of organic grass fed Kobe beef you bought for dinner, <laughs> right? I All know that, this it, is, uh, yeah, it's, it's really going to be a, 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 a big shift in consumer priorities as well. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. And, yeah, sorry. yeah. So I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't mean to interrupt our conversation. It's going so uh, so well. I'd, I'd like to keep going all afternoon long, but unfortunately, <laughs> we're we're just about out of time for today. So um, my guest today, for all of our followers, has been Yasu Aseas, 
He's the director of ESG research at Parnassus Investments. Yasu, where can Sustainable Finance Podcast subscribers learn more about your research team's work and investment opportunities with Parnassus? And how can they get in touch with you for more information about topics we've discussed on today's podcast program? Sure, Paul. It's, it's been a pleasure being on the, the SFP uh, podcast. So thank you for having me. Um, and you know, your audience members can go to uh, www.parnassus.com uh, if they want more information on the work that we do, if they want information on the funds that we manage, um, and if they want to sign up for any of our principles and performance pieces or, or you know, thought leadership pieces, you know, please go to our website and, um, and check it out. Okay, great. Well, for all of our subscribers, thanks again for joining us. And thanks to you, Yasu. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day today. And for all of our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast.